All right, so we are um, we're in chapter 4, Romans chapter 4. So I want to read the, uh, this section again, and I'm reading down to verse 16, simply because that's the context of everything that's working. Thank you. Um, but reading, reading the context of Romans chapter 4, that Paul is here talking about the issue of grace and law and works and faith. And actually, I should say law and grace and works and faith because those, uh, those couplings are so important, especially as he progresses into the next several chapters as he's talking about this issue and he turns really more to talking about what God has done for us and we receive by faith. But before he gets to that, he's got to get across to these people the issue of of law and grace because there's a lot, there must be, a lot of confusion in the church at Rome, or he would not be answering that. And can I say there's a lot of confusion in the church in America, or he wouldn't be writing that. Okay, a lot of confusion in the church in the world, or he wouldn't be writing that. Because it's so easy to slip back into law and something you've got to do, and it's up to you. We, we can slip into it even in our prayer life where, you know, it's, it's all that we have done. And how many times have you found yourself, and I'm not trying to indict anybody here, but um, you find yourself not just asking for God to heal or do something for someone, but you load it with all the things that they have done and the reasons why they should be healed. Have you? Come on. Let's uh, can we all just raise our hand? Because we do that. And it's like, she's so this and this, and they've done this and all these things. And so, Father, we just thank you that you healed. Jesus healed people who hadn't done anything. And he didn't ask them to. And he didn't ask the man to go to the pool of Siloam till after he'd already anointed him for healing. He didn't ask the man who was lame at the pool to, to stand till after he had ministered to him. So this, this principle is so easy to fall into. And, and yet we think, well, we think we're protecting. So it's, it's, yeah, we got saved by faith, but now we have to live by works. Okay, now I'm really getting into our stuff. But that's, that's kind of the book of Galatians. But he does cover those areas in here. So in this section, let's let's read Romans chapter four. Again, I'm going to start in verse one and read down through verse sixteen. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? That just means in the natural lineage, not flesh as evil, sinful. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. That's, one of, that's like one of my favorite phrases in, in Paul's writing. I just love the way he just throws that in. For what does the scripture say? 
There's always a good answer. What does the scripture say? And people respond, oh, we don't need to do that. Let's not, we don't need to get into the Bible. You know, it's like, let's just talk about this. It's, yeah, we do need to get into the scriptures. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as a due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Quoting David, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. But we do. Okay, well, stop. Stop meddling. All right, verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Can I just read in there, Jew or Gentile? Verse uh, 8, 9 continues. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. This is talking about Jews who have believed in Jesus Christ. Verse 13. For the promised Abraham and his offspring, that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Verse 16. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So thank God we have this great promise. Now this the King James, the King James says that in that verse 16, it is of faith that it might be by grace. If it was of works, it'd have to be by law. And we're all going to be glad it's not by works. But it's so easy to fall into. It's so easy to put that on people who we're witnessing to. It's so easy for people who are not saved to think 
that that's the way they become Christians and I can't work enough and I can't do the right things and so I may as well just live my life because it's making me happy and they don't understand you don't have to quit all those things before you get saved let's get you saved and then we'll work on that stuff why this is very simple because Romans chapter 6 comes after Romans chapter 4 all right so just so we're going to talk about grace and faith and then later on we'll talk about how you live so this uh these statements that are down through here are so powerful and we went down through verse three but like i said that that one statement that he makes if abraham was justified by works he has something to boast about you know if if you do something really good it's it's all right to boast about it and that doesn't mean you know throwing out your chest and bragging and all those things it just means that you could say, yeah, I did this. And there's nothing wrong with having an accomplishment. Is that true? There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with getting good grades. There's nothing wrong with, you know, living a good life. There's nothing wrong with having a good marriage, having a good testimony. There's nothing wrong with doing good things and then having something to, quote, boast about. But if that's how he got saved, Abraham could boast about all the good stuff he did. But what's that next phrase? But not before God. You can boast all you want about all the things you've accomplished in this life through your ability, through the graces that God has given you and the, the uh, talents and the gifts that God has shared into your life. You can boast about that, and that's okay, but you cannot boast about that before God. Because God says, you what? And so, what? What do you expect me to do about that? Oh, yeah. But your other works have not measured up. The works that you don't want to boast about? Those works that you're trying to hide or forget or cover over? No, those are the works that are going to send you to hell. So, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just, I'm a good person. Yet, this much. What about all the rest? Okay, well, that was taking us back to some chapter 2 and chapter 3. But, so then what does he say in verse 4? So starting in verse 4, but in the case of one who works. Now what he's going to do is he's just going to make an analogy here and it's really so simple that I really shouldn't have to spend much time on it. In the case of the one who works, somebody who's laboring, the Greek word works, you can see I've got that down there in your notes, or got some uh, it, it means continuous labor. So we would really better translate it for the one who is working. This is This is you. Working, 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 working. Yes, sir, I am working. I'm working for God. I'm working to get out all the points. I'm working for my medals. I'm working for the honor. I'm working, 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 working. Yeah. No days to sleep. I'm heavy at working. I'm working. I'm working for Jesus. Working to get saved. I'm working to do this. Really? And the Jews would say, yes, I'm working. I'm working the law. 
I'm working the first commandment, the second, the third, the fourth. I'm working all these commandments. I'm working everything he said. I'm working all the 613. I'm working the sacrifices. I'm working the food laws. I'm working the clothing laws. You can't blend fabrics. Uh, I'm working everything that you could think of. I'm working it. But then, listen what he says. To the one who is working... The one who's working, his wages are not counted as a favor. Now, I don't know why, but some translations have gift. But actually, the Greek word is charis, grace. So why, do, why wouldn't they put grace in there? It's almost like they want to cover it up. So if a guy is working... The wages he receives are not a gift. You earn them. And that person owes you. And that's really the argument that Paul is making. They're not a grace. and They're, they're something that is due you. Now, the words are, are not reckoned or counted. We've run into this before. It's the same word. Abraham believed and God counted it as righteous. So it's to write it down. But as I said last week, it also has the idea, not just of the ledger, but that the, somebody looks at the ledger and sees all these things and hears, you know, the bottom line. So working, 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 and you're doing all this stuff, and here's the bottom line. God owes you salvation. Now, I'm surprised there was not a lightning bolt. You know, they came in. We're well insulated here. Um, God owes you salvation. God owes you a right standing with him. But I was working, 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 working. I've been doing all this stuff. And God says, and? So what? Doesn't count. Because you got a lot of not working, not working, not working, not working, not working. They're counted. His wages. The word wages is, is misthos. It's just a, it's a word that means wages that are paid for something that is done. So this isn't, you know, I agreed to pay you, so here's your uh, signing bonus. We're getting close to football signing bonus as our read somebody the other day some guy's going to get 31 million dollar signing bonus he hasn't done anything yet I, I don't know I anyway but this is word this is what you've done so this is something that's paid after you have worked not before afterwards so you have worked and worked and worked. But then he says what? They are not a favor. So the person that's working, his wages, what, what is written down, what is counted, is not a gift. When it gets down to the bottom line, somebody owes you something. So the person that you were working for is now indebted to you because you have worked for it. Right? That's really all he's saying. And it's very basic in their society, in their 
culture that they lived at the time. But the word he uses for favor is it's not just the Greek word for gift. There's two or three different words for gift, but the word he uses there is charis. They're not a grace. And grace is something that comes to you without merit and without demerit. So you didn't work enough to get it, and you weren't lazy enough to not get it. All right, just using an analogy. It's something that's offered, and it's, it's not based on anything you have done or not done. So when you work for 40 hours, and there's an agreement that this is what we're working per hour, and you come to the end of that 40 hours, somebody owes you what's there. They owe you that. But... God doesn't, because what you thought you were working for God, it's nothing, because God doesn't look at it. God doesn't look at the ledger of your work. He's looking at another ledger. Now, this ledger of work, he's going to look at one day. It's called Revelation chapter 21, or 20. at the great white throne judgment. Yeah, he's going to get out all the ledger of people's work. But right now, in this age, God's looking at another ledger. It's a ledger of faith. Where's the faith? Where's the faith? God's looking for any evidence on that ledger of faith. Oh, I got lots of works over here. But where's the faith? And so what God says, it's, there's nothing written down on this ledger. So what God is going to give you is not based on this, this ledger of works. It's based on a ledger of faith. Now, I like the word as he comes down to the end of this straight statement. In the case of the one who works, wages are not counted as a grace, but as a debt. And that's that word I used earlier, debt, uh, the Greek meaning of this word is something that is legally owed. If someone is working to gain righteousness, what you're saying is you're going to go stand before God and say, you owe me. Now, I, I know that's almost blasphemous to think it, right? You're going to stand before God and say, you owe me? You owe me salvation? Well, I got one problem with that. God does talk about wages. And it's a couple of chapters coming up. Now, why he didn't throw it in here, I don't know, but he's writing as God gave him inspiration. So, yeah, the problem is God is going to look at wages. There are wages. And the wages of sin is righteousness. God forgetting. The wages of sin is marked out. Ooh. We'll get to that. The wage of sin is death. And the other problem with this is Romans chapter 11, verse 35. 
in Job chapter 41, verse 11. Now, again, we're going to get to this in Romans. But basically, Paul quotes, paraphrases in some ways, Job. Who has given first to God that God must repay him? Now, it's a rhetorical question, which means you're supposed to answer what? Nobody. <laughs> no one. So you're, you're not, well, let me think. <laughs> no, you don't, you don't need to think on this. This is one of those, I know the answer here. Right? And so, this is, what, this is the statement. No one can stand before God and say, you owe me. Yet I've almost heard preachers, preachers uh, say that. Especially those that get into a lot of the workspace. A lot of this is, this is what is due me. And we've done this. You know, and how much have you done for the Lord now? And it's not. It's not me. It's all him. But here's... Here's the beautiful thing. God gave us the opportunity to believe. Now, some would say, well, no, God appoints people. No, then why is it that he asked you to believe? Why is faith an issue if in the, quote, sovereign election group, God just chooses you? It's like you don't even you don't have a choice. You're chosen to be saved. You're chosen to go to hell. It doesn't bother God. One preacher that I listened to, he said, you know, I, our child died, you know, early and uh, after childbirth. And uh, it was tragic. It was hard for both my wife and I. But people have asked us, well, is your child in heaven? He says, I don't know. If she was chosen to be in heaven, she'll be there. If she's chosen to go to hell... She'll be there. And it doesn't bother me. Thought, well, it bothers me, and I'm just listening. <laughs> How can it be all right with you? It just can't be. So why is it that every time God talks about the issue of salvation, the word faith comes up, which means to believe? You believe. And so the issue isn't God assigned you to a place. No, you worked and worked and worked and worked, and God said, I don't care. doesn't matter to me if you believe. Do you believe? Because one act of faith overwhelms a lifetime of good works and bad. They're all wiped out. They don't matter. Now, that might matter in, in human life. Abraham could boast before this world, but not before God. So if you obey the speed limit, you can boast about that to the policeman. But it'll get you nowhere with God. I didn't say it doesn't matter because God doesn't care if you break the speed limit. I didn't say that. But obeying the speed limit won't get you saved. And breaking it won't keep you from being saved. But I'm not giving you permission to do anything. 
Now, it goes in verse 5, but to the one who does not work. So he inverts this whole word. The one who does not work. I'm not going to work. Now, we've all worked. We've all had in our conscience and since our training in childhood, little things that we were told, cleanliness is next to godliness. Right? Idle hands are the devil's playground. Right? Something like that. You know, I don't know how that goes. Rolling stone carries no moss or what gathers. <laughs> and, but those are not in the Bible, but we lived by those. Or the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Of course, you know, we did our best with that for a few hours. Except for our siblings, and they don't matter. But, but here it says, the, but the one is not working. I'm not... I'm not looking, it's not that he's not looking, it's just he's not counting his working. Abraham worked. He did a lot of things. God told him to do this and he did it. God told him here and there. God did not tell him to try to give away his wife as his sister. God didn't tell him to do that. He did it. All right, that wouldn't. You know, that's on the bad side of the ledger. But but Abraham wasn't looking at that side of the letter, a ledger. We're all, we all worked. We've all tried to obey the Ten Commandments. We have tried to do right things and not do wrong. You know, we've all had that part of our life. Do we get so frustrated with it? We'd say, like some of your friends that you probably know and maybe relatives, it's like, I don't care. I'm just going to live for live for my pleasure because I can't do it right so I may as well just enjoy my life and if I go to hell so what and I know people like that and I'm almost certain you do they've just totally given up because they can't work enough but they've been listening to the wrong gospel because God's not talking about the working ledger not today the day will come but not for you, because you had your name written on this ledger. You believed, and God counted it as righteousness. Yeah, but what about all that other stuff that they did? Gone. Just gone. And Paul's going to talk about those things later. But, but to the one who does not work, in a sense, to gain righteousness. That's what he's saying. My work, yeah, I've done work. And there's nothing wrong with rewarding people for doing good. Right? That's, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with punishing people for doing bad. What's wrong is when you, you allow that to become the way to salvation, the way to obtain righteousness. It's good not to do certain things, and it's bad to do others. But it won't get you saved one way or the other. One thing will bring you righteousness. The righteous shall live by faith. And so this is the issue, and that's where Paul is back to. He does not work, but he believes on the one who justifies. How much did Abraham know about God? A certain amount. Oh, he knew. He knew a certain amount of things about God. He knew about the gospel. He knew that Jesus was going to die uh, a redemptive death. 
He knew that there would be a time the Messiah would come. He knew that this Messiah would usher in a whole other life. He didn't know it by experience. He knew it by faith. Because it was wrapped up in that promise that God made to him. And so Abraham knew quite a bit. And I could take you to the book of Galatians and show you the things that Abraham knew. And so he, he did understand. But it's not his knowledge that saved him. It's what he believed. God made him a promise. He believed it. We'll talk more about that in a couple lessons later on here in chapter 4. He heard a message. He believed it. Did he have some instability? Yeah. He laughed at God. Said it's not going to happen. Tried to do the Hagar thing. Tried to say, what about my servant Eleazar? This will be easy. You know, but no, that's, God said, that's not what I want. And Abraham kept coming back. Every time Abraham would be challenged in, his, in believing the promise, God would speak to him. And he would make a decision for the promise. I'll show you. That's what it says. He would, against the promise, he would not make a decision. So, Abraham kept coming back, but ultimately, he believed on the one who justifies. Did he know what that meant? I don't know. We don't know everything that God said to Abraham, and I just want you to understand that. Because we've got a few statements that we can read that God spoke to Abraham. But I feel certain in my heart that there was a bunch more stuff that God talked to Abraham about. And that he had dreams at night and that he had visions and that he had understandings and he wrestled with things. Yeah. But I believe there's a lot of things that God spoke to him. We don't have record of. And God says, you don't need to. Just read what I gave you. That's enough. So he believed God. He believed on the one who justifies. Who justifies the who? What's the next phrase? Justifies the what? The ungodly. What? No, not them. I can understand him justifying the people who've got their works ledger full of good stuff. But the person who's got their works ledger full of bad stuff? No, 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 no. No, that's not going to happen. God can't do that. You know, we look at certain individuals who are notorious for the crime and the evil that they've done in this world. And we have to ask ourselves, could they be saved? Some people would say, no, they can't. Some people say, if they were supposed to be saved, they wouldn't have done those bad things. And because they did them, it shows that they were never destined to be saved. I don't believe that. Because the Apostle Paul was in that group. And as a terrorist against Christians, he felt that that was a badge of honor. I persecuted Christians but God poured out his mercy and his love upon him and I know that there's people yeah people on death row people have done unbelievable evil God could save why what's this verse say he justifies the who 
the ungodly. But I wasn't as ungodly as them. Does God care? You're on the ungodly ledger. Doesn't matter. You want to be on the godly measure? Believe. Well, I got to work my way out of this. No, I got to go back and, and, and repay everything, redo everything. There are people who cannot get past the evil that's been done to them. And so revenge becomes the, the way, and it multiplies because the person that you take revenge upon is now going to take revenge upon someone in your family and then somebody else is going to have to take revenge upon them and so we get wars that go on in cultures and those areas that just seem like they will never end and and you could bring up certain things and you're right back to the irish and the english war and you are right in the middle of it and if you go to ireland just put your hand over your mouth. And you can do the same thing with Muslim and Christian. You can do the same thing, you know, with people from the north and people from the south. You know, them blank Yankees. You know, so that's still out there. And you don't think so? You go to certain places. It might be your age, it might be your race, it might be your gender. Whatever it is, there's always someone who wants to do bad to you because of the bad that you have done. But what does this say? God does what? He justifies. He makes righteous. He brings into right standing with him. To bring someone right into a relationship with God. Simply because the person what? Believed who justifies the ungodly, his faith, he believed, his faith is written down as righteousness. There it is. Your ledger says righteous. Yeah, but, but I could point out righteous. Yeah, but what about righteous? And this is God's evaluation of you. And so the person that is not working is moved over to this side. Why? Because they believed. And that doesn't sit well with people who are still over on that side or some people who arrogantly think it was their works that got them on this side. So this, this issue is a problem, and obviously it was a problem in the church at Rome. Or Paul would not spend about four chapters just talking about this issue. And then bring it up for two more chapters later in the book. So this is a major problem that is troubling the people. Yes, the person was owed death. They were on the ungodly side. I was. You were. But I believed. And all of that disappeared. I don't have this verse in here, but... You got to turn to Colossians chapter 2. And I, I was not going to get into this, but I'm going to get into it simply because it's here. Colossians chapter 2. And Paul here is talking about what happened when we believed, about the philosophies that try to rob us and steal from us what God has done for us. But I want to look down around verse 13. 
That's where I'm going to start. I could start a whole lot earlier, but I'm not. Verse 13. And you, very point to yourself, that, that's you, that you is you, all right? And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Not only were you dead in sin, you were uncircumcised. You didn't belong to the group that belonged, that had access. These are Gentiles. And so it's, you have no hope, is what he wrote in Ephesians chapter 2. You, you have no hope. You're without God, without Christ, without God, without hope. But, and you are dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of God. God made you alive together with Christ. And the word made alive together is one Greek word. Made alive together with Christ. So that when Christ was made alive, you were made alive. Has he been made alive? Did you believe in him? Then you would be made alive. And so this is that miracle of God's eternal mind that it doesn't matter where you live on that timeline. God doesn't live on the timeline. He talks to us about that because that's what we relate to. We can't in our mind relate to untime. I just made that word up, but it's my word. My class, I can do it. I, I can't relate to untime. I can't relate to timelessness. It just doesn't register here. I've heard people talk about warp and the, this thing and the folding over of the time and all that. So I don't get it. I'll stand there and I'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, I got it. Can I please leave? <laughs> but this is, you know, this is one of those things. And, but when Christ was made alive 2,000-some years ago, when he was made alive, I was suddenly made alive. But I wasn't born yet. I'm just not that old. I wasn't born yet. Not only was I not born yet, I had not heard about him. But on the day that I believed, at the age of 21, 22, 22, <laughs> at the age of 22, I died with Christ. I was buried with Christ. And when he was made alive, I was made alive. But here's what follows. And you've got, you've got to not stop reading. Right? So that you were made alive together with him. Now listen to the next phrase. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. Or can I, I'll just put the singular in there. Having forgiven you, me, all our trespasses. Now look at that word, having forgiven. Because in the Greek language, what that means is that this is a verb, having forgiven, is a verb that occurs before made alive together with Christ. So before, and that people will say, Jeff, you're a heretic. I'm not a heretic, believe me. 
before God made Jesus alive in the place of death, God forgave your trespasses. In other words, the fact that he was made alive is the evidence that God has forgiven your trespasses. Because his blood was shed for your sin. Done. And before God made his son alive, before the spirit made him alive, before the deity of Christ made the person of Christ alive, Jesus, before God raised him from the dead, God had already forgiven your sin. That's what this says. That's the verb context. And so this occurs previous to that one verb, the main verb of the statement. God made him alive, having, we would put if in the English language, having already forgiven you your trespasses. Having already forgiven. It doesn't say he made him alive and then he forgave. No. The reason he was made alive is because it worked. What God had put his son on the cross for was done. Pure blood had been shed for the sinful blood of all humanity. It's done. Now, it wasn't realized in your life till later, but it was done. Having forgiven. Now, notice what the next verse says. It starts with what? What's the first word in the next verse? Verse 14. What's the first word? By. I think that's my translation. He did this how? By canceling. If your if yours says just says blotting out, is that what yours says, King James? Blotting out. That's because the preposition isn't in there. By blotting out or by canceling the record of debt that stood against you with all its legal demands. God didn't just God didn't just forgive your sin. He canceled the debt that made you a sinner. The law was taken out of the way. Why? Because Christ is the end of the law. Oh, Jesus said, no, the law never perishes. The law never destroyed. It will come to destroy. But to do what? Don't, don't just start, quote, God said, you know, I did not come to destroy the law. But what? 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 Fulfill it. The word fulfill means fill it up so that it's complete. It's done. Law's done. Done. As a way of finding any kind of right standing, it's done. The law is done. And the law that made you a sinner is also removed along with your sin. How did God, how did God forgive you your trespasses? By canceling the debt. If you went to the bank and you owed them money and they pulled out the record and it was blank and they said, well, we've got other copies of this record somewhere. And I know a lot of people say, well, if they pull it out, it would say paid in full. No, it doesn't say anything. It's blank. They can't. We're going back in our filing system. You know, we'll pull up. We've got computers that go all the way back. We've even got handwritten records back there somewhere. Remember, remember how to do that? Type with carbon paper? 
We got a carbon copy somewhere. Microwave. Micro, microwave. Microfish. You know, that where it's black with white printing on it. That's how my birth certificate is because they, they lost it. Well, okay, I lost it. Anyway. They look at it, it's blank. There's not even a record, not just of my debt, but of why I had a debt. You think, Jeff, you're over-exaggerating this. No, I'm not. Read on. I'm just reading the scripture. He did this, how? By canceling the record of the debt. Yours says what? Blotting out? Is that what it says? Blotting out? Yes, so that means you take the blotter and it's gone. You say, wait a minute. But he did, no, there's no record. It doesn't, it's not just he didn't do it. It's not just it says paid. It's gone. Not just the violation, but the thing that you violated is gone. By canceling the record that that stood against us with its legal demands. And so it had all these legal demands, but what happened to it? It's canceled. It's blotted out. Read on. This he set aside. When did he set this aside? When did he set it aside? What's the next phrase say? Nailing it to his cross. So, God removed the debt and the record of the debt, forgave your sin, and raised his son from the dead. That's, that's the way it reads. Follow the prepositions and the verb forms. That's what it said. He did it how? Nailing it to his cross. So when Christ died on the cross, Christ is the end of the law. We'll get that because that's in Romans chapter 10. The end, the termination. The thing as far, the law went as far as that and in him it's all fulfilled and it didn't go any further. He's the terminal point. You can't go any further. The law, you say, yeah, but the, the Ten Commandments are still there, and I can go back to Leviticus, and I can look up some laws about food and actions, and you know, I got there's all kinds of stuff in the book of Leviticus that, that you're guilty of, bud. You really are. Yeah, but as far as I'm concerned, that ledger is gone. Why? Because of one thing over here. I believed God brought me into right standing, and that side of my ledger is empty. It's empty. It's gone. All the reasons why I needed to be saved are gone. Now, things I've done since I was saved, there's some record of those things. But we'll talk about that as we come later on. So all of these things God did. And so this is what happened with Abraham. Abraham didn't have the law. So let's go back to Genesis. Or Romans, I'm sorry. So Abraham didn't have the law. He didn't have a record of, of his wrong before God. He didn't know all the things that God was later going to say. But what happened? He believed. And God wrote him on the ledger side, righteous. He believed God. And it was counted as righteousness. The end of that phrase, his faith is reckoned as right, written down. 
he believed. And God looks at the ledger. Remember what it, I said about the ledger? It's this record. And you look at the record, and it, it leads his mind. It helps him come to an evaluation. If God looks at the ledger of your life, and everything is on the work side, and there's nothing on the faith side, God's mind is made up by what's there. But if he looks at the ledger and on the faith side there's this and he looks over to the work side and it's empty? Yeah. Why? Because you believe God and it was written as righteousness. And this righteousness is as a free gift. Now look at verse 6. In this way David. Oh, we're going to jump from Abraham who lived under the covenant of promise and the dispensation of promise. We're going to jump all the way over to somebody who lived under the dispensation of the law. All right. All right. Abraham lived. I'll give that to you. He lived in the day of promise. But that's before the law came. And once the law came, God said all these things, and here's all this stuff, and you better do it all. All of it. And if you mix wool and linen, you're going to hell. You are you better get your sacrifice ready because you can't. And if you're a priest and you sweat, you're going to hell. Crooked nose, and there's some other things I won't read. There's all kinds of things that you're not allowed to do. If you got a wound on you and you scrape it and a little serum runs, and you're unclean. You are unclean. You cannot, you, you can't be. So all these things were before the law. All right, let's talk about somebody under the law. What about, what about David? Let's just throw him out there. Because why? His, his righteousness is so well known. What's so well known about David? Yeah, I know. He wrote some beautiful psalms and all that kind of stuff. But, but as far as people in the world and a lot of people in church, what do they know about David? His sin. You know, God forbid that your, your name was Rahab. Because every time she's mentioned, what does it say? Rahab the prostitute. It's always there. It's like, yeah, but she came to God. She got under covenant. Yeah, I know. But that's why, that's how we're going to keep her in the record. By golly, I'm going to show her. So what about David? All right, so go to David. Paul says, yeah, bring it on. I'm ready. In this way, David also tells us of the blessedness. Uh -huh, wait a minute. Blessedness? But David did some stuff I don't even want to talk about. You hope children aren't in the room when you read some of David's stories. Tells of the blessedness of the one to whose credit, that's the ledger, God places righteousness apart from his actions. Wow, that is such a big statement. Apart from his actions. And the word apart from means having no connection. No connection. David's actions, we know them all. Oh, maybe we don't even know all of them. 
But we know some of them. But it says he's what? David tells of the blessedness of the one whom God places righteousness apart from his action, his works, the things that he did. Verse 7, quoting from the Old Testament. So what does this say? Blessed is he. Blessed are those whose iniquities, anomia, disregard, for the law of God, not the laws of God, the law of God, the moral absolutes that God has established. Anomia. Disregard. I don't care about what God said. We're all the way back to Canaan. Well, we're all the way back to Adam and Eve. <laughs> don't care what God said. We're going to do what we want. Blessed are the one whose iniquities have been what? Forgiven. The Greek word afiemi means to send away or separate from you. They are they're separated from they've been sent away. Have been forgiven. And when you forgive someone, you send them away with, with no uh, allegiance to you, no debt to you, no nothing that they owe you, it's done. It's over. They're forgiven. Not only are his iniquities forgiven, his sins have been what? Covered over. The Greek word means to conceal from view or review. They're not, they're not just concealed from view. They're concealed from review. They are gone you, you're not allowed to. You cannot go back and look at those. Now, I know. <laughs> God wrote a book and put all, a, bunch, a bunch of David's sins in the book. Thank God he didn't write a book and put Jeff's sins in the book. All right? That book belonged to God, and he has done what? He's wiped it clean. But David's are written down in here. <laughs> They're right there. His sins have been covered over. How could David say that? David lived under the law. What he, there, was, there was no way to cover over his sin. His sin was great. It cost the death of an innocent man. Child died. His family fell apart. All manner of evil things had an access into the kingdom through David's sin. He said, what do, you, what do you mean it was wiped away? It was wiped away. And God said, righteousness. Well, then why did God record all of his sins? So that we know what God has wiped away. We've got a record. So that's how Paul is using that. You want to talk about somebody whose sin was wiped away? We don't know what Abraham's sins were. They're not listed. Well, a couple of them are, but. David's? They're right there. And David violated the law. So let's, let's talk about that. What about the law? Paul doesn't stop with just quoting one verse. He also quotes a second. Blessed is the man. <laughs> and David wrote these words. Blessed is the man. That's me, <laughs> David could say. Blessed is the man whose sin 
The Greek word harmatia means to miss the mark of God's demand. This is what God demands. I mean, there's just one way out of this room back there. Forget this door. There's one way out. And if you try to walk out that way, you can't. Because there's only one way to walk out. And so it is with God. His demand is this. How did Jesus say it? Narrow is the way. And so you got to walk through that access to miss the target. Blesses the man whose sin the Lord will not take account. That's that word, which means to look at the ledger. God will not look at the ledger. God doesn't look at the ledger of the sin. He doesn't look at that. Why? Because it's been wiped away. It doesn't matter. What matters is David believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And we can, we can find statement after statement if you want to. Go back through the Psalms. Go back through David's life where his faith in God is expressed. David believed God. Believed God. Believed God. Believed God. But it just took one. He believed God. And it became righteousness. And so this work was done. God will not take into account. And the Greek word will not take. Will not take. It's a Greek word which means no, not ever. Not just never take into account. No, not never. It, it is it's it's like a double negative, which to us means it becomes a positive, but in the Greek language it's intensified. It's God he won't do it. Yeah, but no, he will not do it. Not ever. God will never look at that sin. Never, not ever. God will never arrive at a place. And David will never arrive at a place where his sin is taken into account. Why? Because the slate is is clean the slate is clean yeah but it, it's in our book yeah and the man who did all those things that we can read about is righteous before god his slate is clean man if it worked for him gotta work for me how does paul say it in first timothy chapter one he said and god did all of this for me he poured out his mercy and his love with his grace so that in me the righteousness of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God might be shown. That's awesome. I shared with Dr. Holden this at the, after the funeral service for Janice the other day. And... Uh, I know that the testimonies went long and the stories and doctors, Dr. Holder could tell stories for hours and it just, you just sit there. But it was good to, to hear all of those. And I know my message was, was good and it touched people's hearts. Five people got saved, by the way, um, at, the, at the funeral. So um, at least they professed. But why all those stories? You know why? to show people this works see the majority of the people sitting in that room are real close to their eternal fate and many of them may not have more than a few months 
the life left. God wanted them to hear. But he didn't just want them to hear me tell them that believing in Jesus will give you eternal life. God wanted to show it in the lives of a family. And every one of them could testify and show, hey, this works. This, this is not just preaching. This works. And that's why David's failures are so blatant. Even worse than David is a man named Manasseh. One of the last kings of Israel. The great-grandson of Hezekiah. Manasseh was evil. Um, unbelievably evil. And he's the one who, according to tradition, had Isaiah placed in a hollowed log and had the log sawed in half. He persecuted the prophets. He persecuted people. He was responsible for a lot of the destruction that came upon Jerusalem. But in the end of his life, he was taken captive to Babylon. His children and wife were put to death in front of him. But then he cried out to God for forgiveness. And God forgave him. And so at the end of Manasseh's life, it says, and Manasseh slept with his father David. He slept with the righteous. But look at all the bad stuff he did. God didn't see it. Why? Because of this expression of faith. Man, one expression of faith wipes out a lifetime of evil or one day of evil. Amen. So, Father, we thank you for this promise of life that is ours. Father, you promised that you would not just forgive our sin, but wipe that record clean so that there is nothing, nothing that can be seen, nothing can be brought up, we may use them as testimonies of who we were and what we had done to show your righteousness, not ours. To show your mercy and your grace, not ours. So that our testimony is all about you. Your goodness, your love, your grace. The work that you have done to bring us into this wonderful relationship with Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son, the life that is ours. In Jesus' name, amen.